Daryl is a leader at um, Hope Corner Community Church in Runcorn. They're doing great things. And uh, his main story will be tonight, but you'll enjoy the morning. Thanks, Daryl. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for having me down. It's always dangerous. If you're going to invite an evangelist to preach, um, dangerous things can happen. So first off, I want to ask is uh, your forgiveness to start with. Uh, I'll do that first. So I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable. I'm going to make you might want to leave. And that's all good. That's all fine. But I want to ask your forgiveness now. So do I have your permission to do that? You said it, so now it's coming. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a leader at a church called Hope Corner Community Church. It's a great church. I'm so blessed to, to be able to be part of that, that the leadership team. Um, we do lots of uh, work outreach into the community. We have a, a special educational needs school, um, which I set up two years ago. After its first year, it was inspected by Ofsted and rated as outstanding in every area. So then it became one of the top three special educational needs schools in the country. Um, so it's a church-run, out-and-out Christian special educational needs school, and the local authority are fighting to get kids in, which is fantastic. And we, the food bank, which, again, we launched it was a couple of years ago, but now it's eight distribution centers um, across the town, and in two years they've fed nearly 10,000 people. So they're, they're the kind of ministries that the church has. And it's a blessing to be part of that. And then there's this. There's the evangelistic work that I do. I got, I'm so blessed I get to travel around the world. Um, but I love more traveling around the UK, um, speaking into all different kinds of churches, all different movements, all different denominations, and, and bringing the same kind of challenge. Because the evangelist's job is to equip the church. That's why the evangelist exists, to equip the church in reaching the lost. It's to take the church to where it really needs to be, to challenge us in our walk, to challenge us in our faith. And the burden of the evangelist is he is constantly challenged in his faith and in his walk every single day of my life. It's a challenge because I can't preach this if if I'm not living it. I can't bring this message if I'm not trying to do it in my own life and I'm not proclaiming any kind of perfection. I am broken. I am a mess. But by the grace of God, I get there every single day. Last year, we covered over 40,000 miles. Uh, Last year, just traveling, traveling, visiting, getting around the UK, getting around the world, going over to Canada. We covered a lot and lot of mileage. If you want to know more about that, um, you can visit the website, which is unreachable.org.uk. We're able to do all this work because of people's support, because people sign up to partner with us. And if you'd like to become a partner with Unreachable Ministries, come and see me. I've got some sign-up forms, or you can sign up through the website. But that is the reason we're able to do what we do. We live by faith. If the money's not there, we don't get paid, literally. That's how we live. So if you'd like to partner with us, please do. Every church I visit has a similar story. Some small churches are great. They're fantastic. They're really striving and pushing forward. They want to see revival. They want to see their communities impacted. I visit churches of thousands who, although they're big, although they're very good at running church, although they're very good at the show, don't get me wrong, I I like things to be done well. I think church should be done really well. I, I hate fudged church, but I also hate polished church. When it's run, so I was at one church, and it's a great church. I won't say which church it is, because that's, that's not fair. 
But when, they, when I turned up, and it was uh, four services in one day, and they gave me the, the running order, and it was literally like 9, 9 9.01, 9.04, 9.07, 9.08. And I was like, literally, to the minute, everything, who was going to come up, how long they had, what was going to happen, how long I had. And I said, this is fantastic, but where do you fit the Holy Spirit in? Does he get a chance to, uh, to get in there and do anything? So I apologize again to the leadership because I, I will try and stick to time, but I can't make any promises what the Holy Spirit's going to do. So strap yourselves in. You might be here till tomorrow. <laughs> the church. I love the church. Capital C. I love the church. But at the moment, she's broken. She really is. And she's broken because somehow something has changed. Something has been missed. I, I like to study previous revivals. I like to see where they came from, who was involved, how they collapsed eventually, which they all have up to now. Something has always gone wrong. Someone has been taken out. I have a poster on my wall in my office, and it's got every single like a timeline. And he has every revival and every key person used in that revival over the last 500 years. And I stand in front of that poster and I pray for revival. I pray that it will come. But I look at the book of Acts, I look at the church as it was, and I look at the church as it is now, and I can kind of see where things aren't matching up. And that's what I want to do. I want to build the church, help the church grow into, into what it should be. One of the last revivals, big revivals, was the Welsh revival. And one of the key figures used in that revival was a guy called Evan Roberts. He was only a young guy at the time. He wasn't massively educated, a sleep preacher, any of those things. But God began to use and speak to Evan Roberts. And he brought him a message to preach. And Evan, first, he went to his pastor of his church and said, I really, I think God wants to say this. He wants to bring this message. The pastor said, well, that's great, but you're not doing it in the main service. You can come to the prayer meeting in the evening. So he came to the prayer meeting in the evening, and as usual, they're not very well attended. And 17 people, 17 people, he preached the message. They prayed. The Holy Spirit moved, and the revival, which reached 100,000 people within a nine-month period, began on that day. The message he preached throughout the entirety of the revival had four points to it. Number one was confess all known sin, receiving forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That's hard, isn't it? Confess all known sin? That's a hard one. Number two, remove anything in your life that you are in doubt or feel unsure about. Again, that's a hard one. You've got to be honest. Do I really believe? Do I really believe what Jesus said? Do I really believe that I have the power and authority that Jesus had? Do I? Number three, be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly. And that is an even trickier one. When you're standing at that bus stop and you really feel the Holy Spirit telling you to pray for that person standing next to you who you don't know, but you allow fear to take over and it just doesn't happen. You just don't do it. There's a preacher called Francis Chan, some of you may have come across him he tells this great story of where he was flying his internal flight in america and he's flying and he's going and he's, the woman sat next to him he really felt god had a clear message for him to bring to that woman but he didn't do it he didn't do it he went he did what he was doing and then he was flying back the same day he gets on the plane he's flying back who sat next to him on the plane the same woman so he's like okay god 
I get it. And he shared the message with this woman. You've got to be ready to respond. Number four, publicly confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Publicly confess him. Unashamedly, boldly. Yeah, I'm a Christian. This is what I believe. This is what God has done in my life. Being able to just share that way, share what God has done in you, it gets people's attention. The Mormons won't knock at my door anymore. I'm blacklisted. Because when they come, I invite them in. And we have a cup of tea and a conversation. And the last conversation I had, these two young lads can't have been older than 20 years old. And I just challenged them on why they believe what they believe. I just challenged their belief. I challenged their faith. Built upon the word of one man who said he received information from an angel, which the Bible specifically warns against. And through this tiny challenge to their faith, I saw their face drop. They had no reply. And they went away questioning their own faith. They promised to come back, but they never did. We have to be ready. Turn with me if you've got your Bibles, or you may get it up on the screen. Luke 14, chapters 25 through 34. I'm using the New Living Translation because it gets across really well what it is I'm going to say. And I want you to hold in your mind as well, where's the lady that brought the prophetic word? You were not at this morning service, were you? So you have no idea what I'm going to preach on. No. I want you to bear in mind the picture of the house half on rock, half on sand. The message that she brought through the Holy Spirit that something has got to change. I want you to hold that in your mind as I preach this message that was prepared 200 miles away, that she has no idea what I was going to preach on, and she wasn't at this morning service, bear in mind what she just said when I get to what I'm going to preach on. Luke 14, the cost of being a disciple. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around to them and said, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus has got this huge crowd. Huge crowd. It says huge crowd. It doesn't give a number. It just says huge. Too big to count. Following him. Jesus turns around to them and says, are you sure you want to do this? Because if you want to do this, you've got to abandon everything. Your love for me has got to outshine everything. Everything else has to pale into insignificance. Your own family, your wife, your children, everything have to come second to me. If you want to do that, and if you can't do that, don't follow. If you can't do that, don't bother. And then he goes on and says, and if you can't carry your own cross, if you're not willing to bear suffering, the suffering that will surely come, don't follow. You can't be my disciple. If you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to accept that, you can't be my disciple. Now, how many times have you ever heard the gospel message preached in that way? 
when you have the seeker-friendly services and you're trying to win people to Christ and get people to make decisions and come forward and, and all the rest of it, have you ever heard any preacher, any evangelist, give them the warning that Jesus says, be careful what you're doing now. Weigh up what you are doing now because this is going to cost you everything. It's not preach much, but that's what Jesus said. It's not taught much, but that's what Jesus said. Why? Why, why is it not preached? Why is it not taught? Why is Jesus turning around and saying to this mass of people, these challenging words, why is it not taught? Well, why? Because we like the big crowd. We don't care what the crowd's like. We just like the big crowd. We like to say, wow, look at my crowd. When we go to leaders, go to conferences, within 10 minutes, another leader, I guarantee, will ask you how big your church is. I guarantee every single time you go, well, how big's your church? Well, how big's your church? So, and they try and make it sound polite, sneaky. So, uh, how are things going? What they really want to know is how big your church is. And it's like a church off. And you go, oh, well, my, I've got 200. And you find someone that's only got 50 just so you can feel better. Yes, I can teach you some lessons if you would like of how to build your mediocre church to the size of mine. <laughs> and they do, and you can spot them. You can spot the, the mega church pastors. They're the ones that are dressed really, really smart with another guy dressed exactly the same, carrying a Bible behind them. Then you can spot the pastors of the, you know, the trendy churches of about 500 and they've got the trendy shirts and the floppy jeans and the sandals and they're just, yeah, man. You can almost spot by how they are, how they're dressed, what kind of a church they're leading and how kind of big that church is. But they're focused on the wrong thing. They're just focused on exactly the wrong thing. Jesus said, if you don't love me more than everything and everyone and that includes your church you can't be my disciple if you're not willing to lie down everything if jesus said to you today sell your house would you sell your house move into rented and give the equity would you do it jesus told you to do that would you do it ouch Ouch. If Jesus said, why have you got a pension? Do you not trust me? Do you think I'm going to abandon you when you're old? I don't have a pension. Why do I need a pension? God looks after me now. Is he going to just stop looking after me because I'm old? Of course he's not. Why do I need a pension for? Do I have a savings account? No. Why do I need a savings account for? I've got God. I'm pretty sure his bank has never been bailed out. <laughs> Why? Why do I think that way? Why do I need those things? Jesus goes on. He says, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Well, churches do when they're building projects. And then they have enough money at the end for the PA system. It's the way it goes. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. 
they would say, there's that person who started that building. And they couldn't afford to finish it. Have you counted the cost? Have you seriously counted the cost of what it means to call yourself a Christian? Have you sat down and methodically said, this is what it's going to cost me if I am going to follow Jesus Christ? Because you could lose everything. You may lose your friends. You may lose your popularity. You may lose your coolness. You might lose your house. You might lose your job. But Jesus says, put me first. I'll add everything else on, but you've got to put me first. Over everything. Why do I have a beautiful wife? Because I put God first. Why do I have amazing kids? Because I put God first. Do I put any of those things above God? No. Does my wife? No. We both put God above each other. Because if we don't, we will never truly love each other. If I don't put God first, I can never really treat her as the gift of God that she is to me. If I don't put God first, I can never truly pastor my own family. I can never truly be a leader in that house. If I don't put God first in my finances, in my thought life, in my sex life. If I don't put God first, they will suffer. That's why God set it up this way. He said, count the cost. It goes on. What king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? If he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. Jesus is returning. The king is coming back with the armies of heaven. And they will outweigh anything you can bring. And when that time comes, it's too late to send a delegation. Because at that time, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Some will do it willingly. Some will do it unwillingly. But pretty much everyone will do it with fear and trepidation in their hearts. Because of what they're seeing. If you don't believe me, read the book of Revelation. It's scary. It really is. I love God. And I know God loves me. But I also understand that the Bible says over and over again, go read it for yourself, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Oh, it's the beginning. You've got to start there. I understand that God could wipe me out with a thought. I understand that I'm only breathing because he's allowing. My life is in his hands, not metaphorically, literally. His heart is beating because he's letting it. Jesus said, count the cost. Make sure you get it right. How many people start following and then say, oh, it's too hard. I hate that term, backslidden Christian. I'm sorry. If you met Jesus face to face, you don't go away from that. You don't turn away from that. Um, if you're backslidden, you never met him. You never met him. It's like somebody giving me a Porsche and I'll say, no, it's all right, thanks. I'll trade it in for a 1970s ladder. It makes no sense. I'd take the Porsche and sell it and use money for something else, but... 
because I like my Skoda that I drive. But I'm not kidding. I got this Skoda, and all of a sudden, like people let you out at junctions and stuff. They treat you differently because you drive. I think they feel sorry for you. <laughs> but how many start and say, I can't do this. I just can't do this. I can't, I can't give up everything. I can't sit down and, and look at my budget and say, okay, look, I can afford to give that, but God's actually saying, I want you to give so much it hurts. I want to look at what you can give and then say, actually, we're going to give that much because giving what I can afford, there's no faith in that. I want you to give what you can't afford because that requires faith. I want you to understand that in the New Testament, tithing doesn't exist. It's not there. I want you to understand that I'm saying to you, I'm asking for everything. Every, 10% is a good start, don't get me wrong. But I'm asking you to give everything. I'm asking you to look and say, with that 35 quid, yes, you could buy a nice Virgin TV HD broadband package. Or you could sponsor a child in Uganda. Which one are you going to do? Yes, at Christmas, you could buy your kids the latest Xbox, whatever it is now. I've lost count of where they're up to. Or you could say to your kids, you know what we could do with that? What we could do, kids, is you could adopt that little girl over there. Out, out in wherever. We could put this money aside and, and you could write to her. You could get to know her. You can change her life. Or you can sit in front of a computer. Jesus is asking you to think differently about absolutely everything. And the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you live, the way you follow him. You don't join an army and then complain because there's a battle. <laughs> you don't sign up to join the army and then start whinging because it's kicking off in Iraq. That's what you signed up for. You can't sign up and say, hang on a minute. I didn't think I was actually going to go to war. Can, can, can I not be, can I just stay here? And, and, no. Well, you signed up for it. You're going. We're in an army right now. We're in a war right now. When Jesus came, when he died and he was rose again, he defeated the works of the enemy. That's what the word of God tells us. But then it goes on to say that the powers of hell and the church, they will be at conflict still, even though they're defeated, but they will not prevail over it. The powers of hell will not prevail over the church, but they will be at conflict. So we are in a battle. We are in a war. Whether you want to be or not, if you choose to follow Jesus Christ, you enter in. You sign on the dotted line. Don't grumble when you start having a fight. I know that every time I preach this way, I used to think, know the prophets of the Old Testament. Like, why did it disappear off and hide in a cave? Why did it disappear and not want to come out? Why did Jonah do everything he could to get away? Why? Well, you preach this way. You do this at a conference, say, of 10,000 people. And then you experience the spiritual attack on a Monday morning. Because I, I know it's coming, but I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. Because you know what else I know? He can't win. You know what else I know? That Jesus gave me all power and authority here on earth. Satan might rule down here, but he doesn't rule me. Because the power I have is far greater than his. 
His is by default. Mine is given. Don't follow and then say it's hard. So Jesus gives these two analogies about following and then how hard it is. And he, he talks about the building project and he, he talks about the army and battles and war. And people say, yeah, I get that. I get that. I'm all fired up. Do you know that? You get the conferences. People all fired up. Woo, yeah. Well, some people do. You don't, obviously. But I'll tell you now, I'm an evangelist. The longer you stay quiet, the longer I'm preaching, right? And then he throws in this random thing. He goes, building, battle. Then he goes, salt is good. Hey, hang on a minute. What do you mean salt is good? Yeah, salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown away. If anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Have you got ears to hear? Will you listen? Then I'll help you understand. Don't quit the battle. Don't quit halfway through. Jesus can do nothing with flavorless salt. When Jesus is speaking to the lukewarm church in Laodicea, he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I can't do anything with lukewarm followers who were half in, half out. Their house, half on sand, half on rock. I can't do anything with these people. I'll spit them out. I can't do anything with flavorless salt. What good is that? If I throw it into the dirt, it'll wreck it. If I throw it into the manure, it'll wreck it. What is Jesus saying? I can do something with dirt. Someone that's dirty, someone that's mucky, I can take them, I can clean them up. I can even do something with poo. For if you put your flavorless salt in it, it's wrecked. It's useless. I can do nothing with it. How many of our churches have flavorless salt mixed in? You know that low salt stuff? My wife has me eating it. It's horrible. It's rank. It's not salt. It's sacrilege. It, it ruins the taste of everything. I know she's looking after my health and she's it's great. I love her. She's brilliant. But when we eat out, McDonald's, then I get that salt on. I'm not, I just, McDonald's salt must be the saltiest salt on the planet. I don't know what they do to it, but oh, it's good. It's so good. You can't lick it off the chips. Mm. So I make the most of it whenever I can. That is salty salt. The low salt stuff is evil. It should be banned. Jesus doesn't know what to do with it. He, he just doesn't know what to do with it. The Son of God doesn't know what to do. So what does he do? He spits it out. What does the Bible tell us on the end day? Many people will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name. I did that in your name. I performed miracles in your name. What does Jesus say to them? Away from me. I never knew you. You did not obey. Naughty boy. I didn't tell you to go do miracles. I didn't tell you to do any of those things. I told you to obey. And in the obedience, the miracles will follow. In the obedience, you'll come to know me more. If you want to get to know Jesus more, if you want to draw close to God, what does Jesus say? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does he finish it off with? And I will be with you 
till the end of age. You want to draw close to God? Get busy. Because in the obedience of what he commands, then he will be with you. It's a promise. You're not going to well, you draw close to him in worship. You'll enter his gates with thanksgiving. You'll enter his courts with praise. You'll do all of those things. But if you want to get alongside Jesus, obey him. Obey him. It's the only way. Don't quit. Don't settle for the big pile. Ah, no, some of it's flavorless. That's fine. But look at the size of the pile. It's huge. I've got a mega church. It's brilliant. Flavorless, but it's fine. All the stuff that's ripping the church apart at the moment. You've got Christians standing up and saying, I'm gay and I'm going to act on it and this is the way God made me, and I'm going to try and use scripture to explain it away. And I was having a conversation with one of these prominent Christian leaders who was saying these kind of things, and I said, but hang on a minute. When Jesus asked me to follow him, he asked me to give up everything. And if that required me to sacrifice my sexual desires and needs to obey his word, I would sacrifice it. It's not as bad as having to give up my life. But he said I had to give up everything. I had to abandon everything if I was going to follow him. So what you're doing is you're choosing to not obey, to not abandon, and to act on what you want. But why isn't the church proclaiming that message? Why are the church staying quiet or getting tongue-tied over it all? It's not complicated. It's simple. Jesus said we had to do this. And if you're choosing not to do this, I, you know, I have an addictive personality. It's the way God made me, so I'm going to carry on as a Christian, but I'm going to do coke. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But that's the way God made me. I've got an addictive personality. It's fine. No, it's not. I had to abandon that. I had to put that to death to pick the cross up and follow. But why isn't the church saying this? It's not a complicated response. Proclaim it. Why aren't we proclaiming it? Because there's too much flavorless salt going on. Too much flavorless salt going on in our church. Capital C, cross the body. And it's hampering her. It's hurting her. It's slowing her down. She's not the beautiful bride that Christ will return to. It's our job to change that. So what's wrong? What is missing? Well, what's missing... It's the signs, the wonders, and the miracles. What's missing is the Holy Spirit. When a secular group can set up a church with brilliant music, where they all gather together and hear a motivational word, and it looks like 90% of churches on a Sunday morning, there's something wrong. Massively wrong. You know what they can't fake? is the Holy Spirit. If on our churches on a Sunday morning when we gathered together, blind people's eyes were opened, deaf people's ears were opened, crippled people were getting out of wheelchairs, people with cancer were healed on the spot, arms growing back, bones straightening out, legs growing longer, try and fake that. You can't. But at the moment, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing that. Week in, week out, that should, we should be naturally supernatural. We should be seeing this stuff 
Week in and week out. Why aren't we seeing it? What are we doing wrong? What's missing? I read the Bible. I read the book of Acts. The early church, they saw it all the time. Every revival that hit, they saw it all the time. It was normal. When I can turn up to a church, any church, any denomination, and I can pretty much guess how things are going to go, that's wrong. It's just wrong. I can turn up, there'll be some announcements, there'll be some worship, there'll there'll maybe a couple of prophetic words, and somebody will get up and preach, and maybe a bit of time of ministry, and then a bit more music, and then we'll all go home. Hey, dinner by one. That's wrong, isn't it? That is wrong. One of the big shifts we had in our church because we realized that's wrong. So we thought, you know, let's come together with no plan. Let's come together with no structure whatsoever, with one purpose to be in the presence of God. Not to ask Him for anything, not to come with a wish list, just to be with Him. And we, this happy coincided with a time where we were having a, it's called, it's called this year of continuous prayer that happens in Merseyside. So every church is praying for a week and then the baton is passed. So every single, there's a prayer happening all through the region all the time. And this happened to be our week. So we said, we're going to come together every night. And this is not an optional, come, come if you can. This is a church service. Everyone is going to be here. So everybody came Monday night with this, no plan, apart from to be in the presence of God. That week lasted for three months, every single night for three months, with the Holy Spirit pouring out, doing different things every single time. No one night was the same. He brought emphasis after emphasis after emphasis. We had people on their knees in repentance, broken. We had people healed. We had all sorts happening. Then we came to this after three months. God clearly spoke to us and said, now take it out. Now take it out. And so we did. And that was a big change, a big shift for us because we started to realize that if we're going to build church, we're not going to build it with events. We're not going to build it with shows. We're going to build it with obedience. We're going to build it being disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. That's how we're going to build church. Can you tell the difference? Can you tell the difference between a church and a concert? Can you? I was down in London. I was speaking to HTV. Love HTV. There was, I had a free slot, and Hill, so Hillsong London is not too far away. So I went along, and it was amazing. The worship was electrifying. The presence of God was was brilliant. But I didn't see any move of the Holy Spirit. I didn't. I just didn't see it. It was good. But I, I didn't see it, and I thought, it's good. But I could go to a U2 concert at the O2, and, and that would be good too. And that would be electrifying, unless you don't like U2. <laughs> then it would suck. Can we tell the difference? Imagine being those disciples, and you, you, you've been walking around with the Son of God. You've physically been walking around with the Son of God, watching him restore sight to the blind, raise the dead from the grave. You've been watching him do all of these things. And then he turns around to you and says, I have to go, but I'm going to send someone better. Can you imagine being the disciples? Better? What do you mean better? What can be better than the Son of God? 
who, who is this better person? And why didn't you send him in the first place? You've been holding out on us. Better? What do you mean better? Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And well, you just watch what happens when he comes. This is the same Holy Spirit that my father spoke to who was hovering over the waters, the chaos. And when my father spoke, my Holy Spirit brought order to all that chaos. He birthed the universe as we know it. He birthed everything, every bit of life that is in existence. This Holy Spirit did it and I'm going to send him. I'm going to send him to you. And he's not just going to be around you, he's going to be in you. He's going to work through you. I am going to give to you all power and authority. Whatever you say on earth will be loosed. Whatever you call for, it will be on earth as it is in heaven. You watch what's going to happen now. Imagine being those disciples. How excited they must have been, but fearful at the same time. What is coming? We've just had the Son of God with us, and something more powerful is coming. What is going to happen? They must have been on such a roller coaster when the church was birthed and born on that day of Pentecost. Wow. That must have been phenomenal. So what do you think their response to that was? Right, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a midweek prayer meeting and we'll get together on a Sunday. That'll do it, yeah. Do you think that was their response to it? Or was their response was, we have to give up everything. I, I'm, I'm selling everything. I don't need, I don't need this stuff. I'm selling it and we need, we'll use that money to, to go out and proclaim what we've seen. We've got to tell everybody. They're all heading for hell. We, we got the answer. We've got to go and tell them. Jesus is going to be with us. He promised so. He sent his Holy Spirit. We can go and proclaim his gospel, his good news, and we can confirm it through the Holy Spirit who will raise the dead, signs, wonders, miracles, healings. He'll do all of those things for us. That was their response. Not, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get to the midweek prayer meeting if I can and I'll see you on Sunday. That wasn't their response. They were living in each other's pockets. They were part of each other's lives. They were sold out for God completely. Nothing was more important to them. Nothing. So why is now different? What is missing? I want to tell you what's missing. Faith. Faith is the key that unlocks everything. I've seen, right before my eyes, deaf ears opened. I've seen, right before my eyes, the lame walk. But that is not why I believe. I believe because Jesus said he would. I believe because he made me a promise. And he has never let me down. I believe that when I'm obedient to him, he will take me to places and use me in ways I could have never dreamt of. And I know there's a great cost. And I know there's a great sacrifice. And I know that it's exhausting. 
And I know there are plenty of those times when you're pulling out your hair. But I know I have my brothers and sisters around me to help me through those times. I know I have the great counsel of the Holy Spirit to guide me and walk me through it. I told you, I'm imperfect. I'm broken. You want an example of a, a, a minister in a mess? It's me. I'm fully aware of that, but I am also fully aware that in my weakness, Christ is at his strongest. When I admit I can't do that, he's at his strongest. And God told me to set an ex-con. Ex-con. When God told me, go set up a school. Because these kids are hurting and broken and you need to reach them and their families. And no one else is doing it. Go do it now. I don't know anything about setting up a school. But I just started. And I started reading and I started learning. And I got all the paperwork and I got the forms and I filled them all in and we put it together and I designed a curriculum and I wrote all the policies. And an ex-con. And then we set it up and it got running and then Ofsted came in and they said, this is amazing, this is outstanding. An ex-con. Then I get a visit from a head teacher who's setting up a free school and they said, so how many did you have in the team who set this up? We've got 12 on our team. I said, what do you mean team? It was me. And the Holy Spirit. That was pretty much it. But I don't believe because I've seen I don't believe because I've experienced it. I believe because I have faith in my God. I have faith that when I pray for the sick, he will hear me. Little broken me. But he will look at my heart and he will know the desire of it. And he will know that the desire to see that person healed is not to glorify a church or a ministry, but to glorify Jesus Christ. People say, oh, why do some people get healed and some people don't? Well, sometimes when people are praying, they're praying with the wrong motives. And God cannot hear their prayer. He cannot answer their prayer because they're praying to glorify themselves or glorify their church or glorify their ministries. Evan Roberts was praying to glorify God. He was praying to see Jesus lifted up over Wales. And God heard his prayer. Faith is the key. Confess all known sin. That's where you need to begin. And remember, the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. Don't fear the confession. Fear what will happen to you if you don't. All of you that are carrying those secret sins, all of you that are, are addicted to pornography, to drugs, prescription, or illegal alcohol, all of you that are secretly carrying those things, those things from years ago that you're still holding on to, you just haven't let go. Those of you that are holding on to unforgiveness, I'm sorry, you don't get an option. Jesus said, if you want me to forgive you, you forgive others first. If you want to receive God, you need to forgive, you need to let go. It's not an option, it's a commandment. Depending on what version you read, there's 40 odd things that Jesus said that we should do. I take them all as commandments because if he said it I've got to do it and we should know each and every one of those back to front they should be in our DNA we should be able to recite them off we need to confess our sin we need to stand before God and say God I've been doing this wrong I've been doing this half measure 
I've been fitting you in around my life instead of investing my life in you. I've been making time for you when I can, 10 minutes before the end of the day, but I'll spend three hours watching TV. I'll spend three hours worshipping the one-eyed monster in the corner. And I'll give you 10 minutes before I fall asleep. If that's you, you need to confess before God. Because you've been living half measure. Jesus is more important to me than the air that I am breathing. He is the only reason I am alive. How selfish would I be to think that any bit of my life is mine? My life belongs to him. And I want to see his church live the same way. I want to see his church sold out for him. A gang of weak, broken, messed up people who God uses to confound the wise, who God raises up to save this world. The local church exists for one purpose. To finish the job of defeating the works of the enemy. To take the light of Christ out there into the world. To obey the commands of Jesus Christ. To remove anything in your life that you are in doubt or feel unsure about. Be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly. Publicly confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Revival starts here with us. Begins here. If you want to know what it feels like to live 100% sold out for God because you've been living one foot in, one foot out and you know you have. I want to say to you first, there's no judgment in here. There is only love forgiveness and restoration in this place because I've already said if you, the most broken person in this place is the one on the platform if you want to come before God to confess before him the eldership of this church will stand over you with the authority that God has given them and God will hold them to a heavier account than he will hold you and they will use that authority to lay their hands upon you and pray over you. And you will receive forgiveness in a way that you've never experienced it before. You will receive the Holy Spirit, but you will experience him in a way that you've never experienced him before. You will experience the creator of the heavens and the earth, the power that created all things. You will experience him. I don't just believe God can, I believe God will. Maybe you've been carrying around with you a sickness, an illness, an injury, and that's caused you, it's damaged your faith. Because you think God has abandoned you, you think God has not heard your prayer. 
God will glorify Jesus Christ in this place by bringing healing to you. He will bring healing to you so that your testimony will shout the glory of Jesus Christ out there in the world. For no other reason. I'm going to ask the worship team if they will come up. I'm just going to help you guys just by filling the silence a little bit. I'm a Pentecostal. We hate silence. We're going to do something that is dangerous. It's a prayer that David said. David in the Old Testament. And if you're brave enough to take this step, to go from living half in, half out, to living all out. If you're ready to hear that challenge of Jesus Christ, where he says, if you want to follow me, you have to give up everything. All your little plans, all your little schemes, all your little dreams, your retirement plans, all the rest of it that you've got going on, you're going to have to abandon them. Because your dreams will be in me. Your plans will be in me. Your whole life will be in me. I will take you on an adventure far greater than any retirement plan you could have ever dreamt of. But it will be in me. But not of your making or your working or your scheming. It will be in me. Your career, your career will flourish, but it will flourish because you've abandoned it to me. Your education will flourish. Why? Because you've abandoned it to me. family will become stronger, your marriage will become stronger. Why? Because you've abandoned it to me. Your children who you're just so worried about because they've moved away from God. Why have they moved away from God? Well, in a lot of cases, because they've become little idols of their own. See, so many parents making idols of their kids. But God first my relationship with my parents now is stronger than it ever has been and that is no making of my own trust me it's because God was put first my parents came to faith because God was put first my dad abandoned drinking because God was put first think you don't that's your biggest problem you asked me when I became a Christian the honest answer is this morning in a premier in bathroom standing in front of the mirror listening to a bit of rent collective because every single day I commit my life to God the first time was all those years ago but I don't, I don't want to live on a memory I worship a creator God. I want him to create something new every day, new every morning in me. I don't want to live on that. I want to grow from that. I want to move on from that. I 
every single day a little bit more of me to die so a little bit more of him can live. If you know that's you, I want you to make a public declaration before your brothers and sisters right here, your family. These are your family, whether you like them or not. And there's plenty of your family you don't like, but they're still your family. Come now. Come now and have those things removed. Whether it be sickness, illness, pain, suffering, whatever it may be, come and have it removed. Whatever it may be, addictions, things that are holding you, things that are stopping you following God, come now. If you just need to get before God and say, God, I've just been living this lukewarm. I don't want to live lukewarm. I don't want to be flavorless salt. Please, Lord, restore me. Restore me now in this place so that when I leave here, I will leave a disciple of Jesus Christ. The eldership are going to be here to pray for you or any ministry team that's available. Unless the ministry team need prayer, then we'll just work it out. You know, people always forget the ministry team. They, they, they have been needing something. Now's your time. Come now, come. Come on. This is the best place you can be right now. This is the place you were supposed to be, the place you are meant to be, the place God wants you to be. Come now. Squash up, it doesn't matter. Come now. It doesn't matter if you're standing under each other's armpits, it does not matter. Come now. Let's all make room. If you feel you need to kneel before God, kneel before Him. If you need to bow before Him, bow before Him. But remember that Jesus is calling you to rise up.